0: Welcome to the Palm Court Podcast, Mike Palmer here, joined again by Megan Citron and Grant Balfour. Welcome back to the show.
1: Hi, thank Good you to be here. Hi.
0: Great to have you' all back, and we are not alone. We are joined by a guest. We are joined today by Lynn Buchanan, who has a really fascinating and layered set of connections to New College of Florida. Lynn, welcome to the Palm Court Podcasts.
1: Thank you very much
2: for having me. I'm really happy to be here. New College is definitely in my family. My father, Douglas Bergeron, was one of the founding faculty members and really came up with the whole core curriculum and many of the ideas from New College. It was really important to him.
0: And to you in that you also attended New College.
2: Yes, I, well, I've had, my experiences were from a very early age. The charter class used to babysit me when I was a child. Then when I was about 11 years old, we lived in e-dorm for a year while our house was being built and um, the students all helped me with my homework. Mm. <laughs> and then in my last year of high school, I audited classes with um, Peggy Bates and um, Pippin who was there. And then I went to New College from 75 to 79.
0: Right. And we were talking about that. That's right through the merger with USF. And then the merger with USF while your dad was founding faculty and you kind of grew up on campus. That's got to be wild. And then obviously, you know, fast forward to today, you Um, know, sadly, what has brought us all together is some dire times uh, at the school. But I also know Professor Bergen was, was sort of a cultural force. I never even took a class with him, but I still knew him. And then basically the conversations we had frequently were about things other folks had discussed in your dad's classes. Uh, I know that both Grant and Megan had more direct experience there, but uh, what was it like really maybe starting with you, Lane, like your experience just around, you know, your dad as just a brilliant speaker
2: we used to even before i went to new college sit on the porch every night and i would have a a yellow legal pad and a red pen and would take notes about everything he talked about the meaning of life oh man well when i was really young to tell me he walked across the bay and back before (laughs) (laughs) and i sort of believed him until he fell in marion hoppin's pool joking around (laughs) (laughs) But he, he was really wonderful to grow up with. At my high school graduation, they had a real dance band. And he was spinning me and doing dips and everything around the floor. And he actually got offered a job to teach at Arthur Murray Dance Studios that night. Wow. He said he might actually consider that because that was the year of the merger. And he didn't know what was happening
0: right
2: in so, the job market. But um, he considered leaving once, but he could never leave. He just loved the concept of New College so much. Mm. I loved how people studied across disciplines. I did the whole aesthetics and the arts course with him and Hassel mm. and Bob Knox, and I'm forgetting who else was in there, but there, it was great just to really, you know, I think that has influenced me my whole life to yeah. really look across disciplines and not from one field only. I changed my major multiple times, like probably many college students. I was going to major in psychology, and then I went to Oberlin for one year and took abnormal psychology and caught everything in the book and then decided maybe that wasn't for me. And I tried to switch over to literature, but my father didn't think that was very practical. Although I actually think it's highly practical because, you know, it's great to be able to write and speak no matter what you're doing. So I ended up with the really practical field of art history.
0: Mm. But then there's been a successful career path for you really coming out of new college, even though you know we all go through our twists and turns along the way. Can you catch us up also on your professional life and maybe how it connects to New college?
2: Yeah, I mean, I went and got a master's degree in art history. I have a master's degree in creative writing as well, and an MBA. so I did a lot of different things. And I worked in banking for a while while my kids were younger, but when they all left. I ended up getting into photography, and I worked on a book, Florida's Changing Waters, A Beautiful World mm. in Peril. First, it was a museum show at the South Florida Museum, and it was on human impact on the aquatic systems. And I was told I had to give a two-hour talk, which is a little frightening. So I discovered there was a new college student, Justin Bloom, who was head of the Sarasota Waterkeepers Group, or the Suncoast Water Keepers group. And I invited him to join me and speak for some of the time about the issues and to educate the public and get people more involved. So that was great. And later I did the book and I was finding people to write essays and I had Dr. Robert Knight of the Springs Institute, but then I wanted an ecology professor to write something and it turned out Jason Evans taught at Stetson and he was recommended by Dr. Knight. And when I went to interview him, I found out he had been one of my father's students and advisees, and we had this huge connection, because my last name was different, so he didn't realize I was Doug Bergman's daughter till the middle of the interview. Right. (laughs) And uh, so he wrote the, the essay, and he ended up, when my father passed away, he was sick, and he came to visit him in Sarasota before he died, and when I paid him his honorarium, he Put it towards a scholarship in my father's name which was mm-hmm. really kind of him. and yeah. it was great to have that kind of connection with everyone
0: yeah absolutely and it does sound like you know in, in a lot of ways your life is a testimony to like how deep some of these ties sort of weave together when you start understanding the 63 year history of mm-hmm. new college and you know just more in terms of the actual oral history of the school, can you talk about your understanding of the founding and and some of the intellectual principles and some of the ideas that your dad and, and others who were involved in, in the founding of the school were really putting out there?
2: One of my favorite quotes from my father that I found as all this has been going on was in a catalyst where he said that what he really loved about New College was that it attracted nuns to anarchists. And it's not like
1: you're
2: anything like that, but in our current environment, it seems almost impossible for people to talk across party lines or if they have different ideas. And he really promoted that at New College, you should be able to respectfully listen and debate and engage anybody over ideas. I think one of the most important quotes from my father about education, especially in this time, well, I guess he passed away in 2017, but he was already seeing the writing on the wall was that education should be intellectually dangerous, but physically safe. And I feel like that's one of the most profound things I've heard because intellectually dangerous means that we just need to question all our biases and the things that we've been indoctrinated through our lives, even if it's our families or school or wherever we were, you know, up until that point, like sometimes you just take concepts and they stick in your brain and you don't challenge them. And the point of College is to challenge things so people can really grow and develop. But at the same time, it needs to be physically safe. Like right, Not right. discriminating against people. Right. Not, you know, attacking you for your beliefs, but discussing them openly and respectfully. Mm-hmm. And the whole planet could use that right now.
0: Absolutely. And also the the point is interesting around indoctrination, where like that is the phrase that's been used for New College, where... In some ways, I always viewed it as kind of like a deprogramming.
2: Exactly. I think what he said, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like growing up, you know, you grow up in the safety of your family. You need that for a certain point. You need the grounding. You need to feel that you're part of a family and a life in the world. But everybody's this sort of, you know, narrow. And there's a lot of diversity on the planet. So when you go to college, that's a perfect time to meet lots of other people and open your mind to what other people think. And actually get deprogrammed, think and then bring back. I mean, if it comes out that what you were raised right is actually what you believe, then right. you, you will end up right back there. The
0: pina colada song.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. No. So that was what he loved teaching college. That was his favorite age and group of people to to teach. Like later he taught actually people at Pyrian Springs too. And and as you're approaching your own finality in a way it causes yeah. also to think a lot more deeply that's so
0: interesting. students
2: yes. and and people later in life yeah on the middle you kind of get in your little tracks
0: exactly that's when we listen to podcasts but i'd love to hear a little more from you know megan and grant since you were more formally under professor bergen's tutelage but for me it's also i always heard about the both end and postmodernism oh, and a lot of these 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 themes that are you know, they were kind of reverberating around the, really the the casual time, like we would be hanging out and people would be talking about ideas and stuff that, you know, intellectually interesting stuff that they heard from your dad. For me, I was getting that secondhand, which also does kind of speak to the, the power of what was going on there. Megan, can you catch us up a bit on your experience studying with Professor Bergen?
1: When I went to college again in Europe, I sort of recognized that Professor Bergman has a what I would call a a more European style of giving class where it's a performance essentially sort of theater. And that's what I just I loved about his class. I was I remember it was a very early morning class and normally I would be kind of out to lunch in a class like that. But we were all just, you know, completely in a state of rapture with your dad, you know, just pulling us along, you know, in his narrative storytelling uh, of how he did it. And I think my friend Harry Hanbury sent me a question because he was very close to Berggren as well. And he said that Berggren said that he wanted to be a philosophy professor because it was the path that felt most like play to him. Hmm. And I was wondering what you might think about that. And then also as your father, whether he was kind of a playful figure in your life at home and if he played with philosophy at home too oh no he
2: definitely did (laughs) and uh he used to tell me even when i was a little child with dolls you know the the whole thing of like if your doll is in the forest and no one is there to see your doll (laughs) and he went like a lot of illusions which was good and bad but he made you question everything you know no wonder i was writing sort of like existential poetry at five or something from listening to him too much. But Mm -hmm. he always had a wonderful sense of humor and he was so quick with comebacks and jokes because his mind was just that fast. I always envied him because it took me a while to come up with that. I do feel that he was, and I think that's part of what he thought with experimenting with ideas. You know, when I moved back to Sarasota and went to get my master's in creative writing and English. He showed up with a stack of books, really tall, in my front doorstep. You know, I've got all postmodern criticism and this and that. And anytime my children had a question, with a paper, a different stack of books would show up over there. And he always had so many ideas. But he loved to play around and just get you to challenge them and play devil's advocate. You know, he really wanted you to think deeply about your position and not just have positions because you were raised to have them or that's what you had. And I think it's really unfair sometimes that New College has been put down as a place where there's like cult thinking or something, because he wasn't trying to tell anyone to take his point of view at all. He was just saying that you should question your point of view and that you also shouldn't get totally locked into your discipline. Like part of what he really started at New College was a cross-disciplinary idea. And he really talked a lot about the dangers of siloing education because if you only think really narrowly in your one area then you know a lot of times your your criticism will come from a different department that makes Mm -hmm. you think deeply and one of his favorite books was that book about the importance of being wrong I mean it was good because you could engage in real discussions with him because not only were our ideas not supposed to be fixed but he was also willing to entertain and really listen to students and objections that other people brought up and think deeply about that. So he had actually a lot of students who were nuns and priests, and they would, you know, like sign up to take his class. Some jokingly said to see how the other side thought, but, you know, (laughs) maintain, maintain lifelong friendships with them as well, because he was always respectful. Hmm. Whatever your position was, he just asked that you think about it.
0: Yeah. It kind of comes full circle now, too, where a lot of the interdisciplinary, Mm cross-disciplinary thinking is what a lot of people are looking for. And it is interesting that your dad was on top of that, you know, really from the founding of the school. And it was very much part of the culture there. To me, it, it very much ties to critical thinking and, you know, understanding how to be critical which is what I, I think probably at a most foundational level, that was what I learned at New College. Grant, I know you studied, if I remember right, Professor Bergren was kind of your...
3: He was my thesis sponsor. The professor who I was going to do a thesis under, ed, went on sabbatical that year. Mm-hmm.
0: And then you were talking about the, the fact that it was in hermeneutics, which also yes. I believe yes. in the, some the, ways was tied to... The major
3: came from a class he taught. Uh oh. Right. Well it came from two different classes. One was a, a class on the Heart Sutra Buddhist, you know, ancient Buddhist text, and the other one was postmodern aesthetics, which uh was ah. co taught with. I think it was Milena Carrasco co taught with oh. not positive. It might there there was a group of people, but Bergen was one of them. So it's like very new, postmodern, very old, Buddhist sutra, me for that. But one thing I do have here, actually. You guys remember Van Trujitarum? He Yeah. yeah okay
1: of course
3: (laughs) i stayed in touch with van for a long time he was known when he came onto campus he was originally known as the thai guy because he was always wearing a tie yeah and then it became very funny because it turned out that he actually was thai
0: right he was in my class he was class of 88 and he was one of the people who really blew me away just in terms of just raw creative ability it was very humbling to have a conversation with him your first week or two on campus
3: yeah definitely But anyway, in in 2005, you see, he was from Sarasota and he kind of like went to new college and then he did some other things and went back to new college. In 2005, I asked him in an email, like, okay, you're taking this tutorial with Bergen, what's it like? And it was a thing where it was like hanging out at his house by the pool. I remember doing that like as a thesis student too, like, oh, you want me to work more Derrida into this thing on fantastic literature? All right, I'll try so I asked him what it was like, and he gave me this outline, which I just want to read here. It's a 12-step outline of what it's like to be in a Bergen tutorial. This is great. And okay, so what he said was, Bergen is now 75. He looks the same. In fact, he's wearing the same t-shirt. And uh pleasantly surprised to still be around reading, though you may find this astonishing. Finally feels he no longer has time to suffer fools, but he's thinking of people like Leo Strauss. The rest is pretty much as you remember. One. Students field questions based more on deep intuitions than specific text. Two, Berggren highlights the most unlikely passage to interpret, which becomes an allegory. Three, Berggren uses this passage to talk about something he wants to talk about anyway. Four, Berggren asks a sneaky question he wants a particular answer to. Five, someone tries to answer this question, this is a good time to actually do the reading. Six, Berggren mentions the Janus Paradox. Seven. Berggren mentions Pierce and or Rorty. Eight, Bergen, like a passing taxi, will ignore extended verbal responses unless accompanied by a violent bodily motion. Nine, Bergen says something charming. Ten, Bergen asks the right question. The students give the right answer. Eleven, Bergen says something truly illuminating. Twelve, knowledge occurs.
2: That's great. I need you to send me a copy of that. That's fantastic. That's
3: part of a longer Much longer thing. I try to talk them out of reading Plato's Pharmacy in favor of white mythology, but uh, it just goes on from there. Yeah. How can anyone read Nietzsche and not love to dance? That was a Bergen question.
2: Yeah. His other one, something, uh, what is in common between good sex and good conversation? Give and take. (laughs) Yeah. Now, he liked to, you know, sort of really... Put things in a different perspective that would be somewhat shocking or jarring sometimes just to get you out of the realm of what your mind is usually stuck in. So you can mm. look at it from a different perspective.
3: Yeah. And That that dance metaphor seems to be a big thing, too, because there's a lot of like something that I think Van was getting at is there's a kind of circling around a subject before you really get right into it. Like all of a sudden you take one step and then wait a minute, how did I get I'm turned around? Right. right. And
1: a oh, big answer
3: actually. Yeah.
2: And and then he was also a gymnast in college, so he flipped. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah, he did uh, double handspring or handsprings all the way down a football field
1: or something. Wow!
2: He was also in the Marines, and he managed to go the wrong way in a march.
1: But oh, instead,
2: that's awesome. of, instead of like owning up to his mistake, he saw what he was doing wrong, and then he embellished it and got back in line, and they got extra points for like they thought it wasn't. A... <laughs>
3: <laughs> and to do that.
2: And one of my favorites, my godfather, who he met um, at Carlton, was something like the number 13 family in Sweden. So he took my father to a party and had him escort a countess and King Gustav Mm -hmm. there and Princess Margareta or something. And they asked him if he sang. Now, most of us would say no. But then he said, well, I don't suppose the band knows if I loved you, but they did. And he sang it to Princess Margareta. So I have a flask from King Gustav that he gave my father for this. Wow.
3: Day. That is beautiful.
2: So
1: he had his little. He wasn't so afraid. Wait,
3: but... He was in the Marines?
1: Yes, he was. Okay, Before... I'm,
3: I'm going to have to take this in for a minute. Like, yeah. OK, Mac Miller, another founding professor. He right? was Army. Right. Uh, Bob Knox was Army or? Air Force. oh
2: no i'll have to find out i didn't one of those talk... he was
3: uh, he taught japanese novel because he was stationed in japan i remember that being a thing i mean unless my memory is wrong but i'm pretty sure that's it's a, a good
0: thing. story just keep rolling
3: yeah
2: okay i'll find out <laughs>
3: but yeah so he was a marine I'm
2: yeah i mean he wasn't in in well. forever his brother no. was orphaned when his i think i'm trying to remember the exact years but by the time he was 13 he is orphaned his father died oh, maybe wow. And then his mother died of of bone and breast cancer, and he had to care for her. So that was hard. He had a lot of money from his family at the time. They had had a lot of grocery stores stores and gas stations during the Depression. He managed Mm -hmm. to blow everything but one gas station when he married my mother. And he used to go every weekend to the Drake Hotel and people watch. As a child, I don't know how. He was driving a car before he had a license. Maybe that's why he was so independent in a way. Your
1: parents met at Oxford?
2: Yes. He went to Oxford. Um, he'd gone to Carlton, then he went to Oxford, and then he went to Yale and got his PhD there. But he met my mother singing madrigals and playing the recorder at Oxford. And they went out on their date, and she was a mathematician and asked him one of those questions, like if a train is going at X miles an hour for whatever, and something else is coming in the other direction, you know, and he couldn't figure out any of it. So she was going to break up. <laughs> She said something like, where did you go to school in horror? But then he was really offended and was never going to talk to her again after being insulted. But apparently she poured tea nicely and sent a thank you card for the evening. So he gave her another chance. And then she found out he was quite good at logic. And so even though he couldn't do mathematics, <laughs> do logic. And-
0: yeah. And folks may not know your mom's connection to New College, but I do remember when we were there in the 80s, she was working on campus and, you know, you would kind of know the Bergrins in addition to knowing them individually. Can you catch us up a little more on your mom's side of the story? she,
2: She had worked at the Ringling Museum and then she moved over to New College and was managing the students' money. I guess she was the business manager. She had students coming in all the time and I think half of them thought that, you know, she was their mom away from home. Yeah. She loved the students more than anything. And One year, I think she even gave a speech before the commencement speaker and everybody was cheering her on. And yeah. when she finally retired, they had a thing where open mic session where everyone said, the reason I love Barbara is. And so she was very <laughs> beloved. Other like so some of the early class people told me, you know, they babysat for me and they said, yeah, he grows flaws in class. He can be really yeah. mean do <laughs> all these things. But but my mother always sort of was the softer edge. And the, so they loved having people over to the house all the time.
0: Yeah. And and how have you been taking this year? Because it's been hard for all of us. It's part of what it's got us different. organized. But yeah. for you, it's got to be it's really, hitting on multiple different. levels.
2: I mean, I'm glad I didn't bury his ashes.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean,
2: he, he actually, you know, they had the 50-year reunion and he delayed his pancreatic cancer surgery to be able to give them many classes. And it turned out he unfortunately had aggressive pancreatic cancer. So he did not survive. Hmm. And I don't know if it would have been different if he did it earlier, but that's how much new college meant to him. Yeah, he, he was like, cause I remember saying maybe you should get your surgery sooner. And he said, I can't miss that. This is my life. This is my legacy. Hmm. You know, it's I, I put everything into new college once or twice. He thought about, Leaving in one of the many multiple times where New College almost folded and didn't, you know, but he just there was something about New College and the students and the people it attracted and his colleagues that he just didn't feel that he could find anywhere else. And, and he didn't like I know somebody interviewed him in the paper and he did say that part about play, like that that's why he had had this job. All his life because he did feel like it was play and it wasn't a job and it wasn't this huge burden, but it was, you know, really fun. And even after he retired, he taught at the Senior Friendship Center and, you know, did lifelong learning classes and all. He couldn't stop.
1: Mm-hmm. And he
2: loved making charts. I have a collection of charts. Yes. <laughs> I yes. Love to see that. Yeah. No, the charts were really, that was it. I mean, he would just sit there and then he would email all my life, you know, even after I moved, he would email his charts. But I mean, it's good to be able to look at something like that. It's sort of like, I think I do that with my own photography sometimes, because I do a lot of nature photography in woods, which is particularly difficult Mm. to photograph clearly sometimes. And it's a way of making order out of chaos. Mm. I think that's what he did. Well, that's why he was so excellent at teaching philosophy in really complex subjects, because you can really get lost in that kind of language in philosophy. I mean, there's a lot of made up words, you know, and we could really make it like succinct and clear. And a lot of times through his, his charts that he spent forever on.
0: Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on what he might, what advice he might have for us or or things he might say to to us trying to navigate what's going on these days?
2: I think he would be, I mean, obviously really upset. He was very, like, he talked to me. You know, before I guess he passed away in 2017. And even before that, he was very worried about the siloing of education. He was very worried about the way that people weren't able to communicate, you know, more liberal positions succinctly and how disorganized things were. And he was kind of afraid of what would happen. And I know he was not at all in favor of censorship. know he wouldn't want to censor things that he didn't agree with that viewpoint he thought you should have all the information and that everyone should be able to debate everything without only having partial access you know and he really you know i remember growing up i used to wonder why is he so obsessed with the truth all the time (laughs) (laughs)
0: because
2: it was like this abstract truth and i'm trying to live my life as a child or a young adult as i'm going through it and i'm like all this, you know, ethics. And then I went to business school and I started seeing the importance of it. Yes. <laughs> and then everything that's going on now, is like perspective and truth and everything is so important. And I just did another book, The Poetry of Being, that um, is my platinum palladium prints and poems. And, and I did it during this dark time of our political disconnects and also COVID and all these problems. And I was really trying, it's sort of put everything from new college together trying to write poetry which i studied with Mac and bob knox and all of that and philosophy with like heidegger how you know yourself through being in the world and getting at things in this this more direct way mm. that i think is something you know that he really taught me in some ways and so there's a lot of influence from him in my work you know, mm-hmm. and also from my mom who really just really uh, appreciated nature and life and all that so i i think he would be absolutely heartbroken by what's going on i mean i remember him you know uh nailing something to a tree about you know objecting to when they were trying to have like certain censorship before on on people and just saying that this this is not a way to educate people or to solve problems like we have a lot of problems in this world and he would wholeheartedly agree with that and believe that the only way you can really solve them is by thinking really freely and from multiple viewpoints at once and really analyzing everything and not, you know, admitting when you're wrong, not getting too locked into anything and being able to communicate respectfully. Like, I think everything he stood for is what we're in really dire need of now.
0: Yeah. And maybe that's uh, another element to this where, you know, what kind of legacy... Can he have, can New College have, even irrespective of what's happening with the current administration, and even if that breaks in a a bad way, you know, like I, I think a lot of us maybe aren't overly optimistic about how it may shake out. It's hard to say. But, you know, there really is an intellectual history. We've talked about it as a, a cultural movement. You know, there even is kind of like a, a spirit of New College that I, I think in a lot of ways your dad kind of exemplified where do you think that goes you know in some ways that's why this podcast exists you know to kind of keep it alive but there's a lot of that type of activity happening nowadays any thoughts on how we can kind of keep it alive keep it moving
2: and and i was just at the filter photo festival too and i was you know talking about this work and i make these prints out of platinum and i thought well that's not so great for the environment or whatever and one of the reviewers said to me which is i think what you're doing here That, you know, that is a permanent way of collecting things like the state of nature. You're you're collecting people's memories, people's understanding of what it meant to go to new college. And as more and more censorship is the way things go. You know, they can take things out of libraries. They can take things out of wherever they take them out of. But if we compile all our own archives, like they were like, do not stop doing this. Like we need this record of this is what nature looked like. Mm. We need this record of this is how Mm. people thought and were, you know, taught to think and question. And this is the community. I mean, there's so much like it prepared me. And I, I know you mentioned that too, that it prepared you for graduate school and further study so well like you know the whole thing of writing a thesis and doing a baccalaureate and and defending your thesis and all of that is is like hugely important and and everybody having their own isps or you know starting your own whatever you wanted to study you could study like it fostered incredible problem solving thinking and creativity and, I mean, we need that desperately. And so many new college students have gone on to do incredible things, with Fulbright scholarships and everything else. And I, I think it was out of the culture.
1: Yeah. Mm.
2: How you think and learn? Mm. And it's different. And it's creative. And we need that. So yeah. I'm really glad you're doing this. Because so many, everybody has their own unique story, which is another point against this is not some kind of mind control thing. Like, everybody was free to dig into, you know, their personal history, what they learned from being in connection with other people who might have different histories. It was like this little experimental thing that you put people in and you see what comes out the other side. And and for the most part, I, I've always been amazed by what people have done that have come out of new college. And anytime I've met people across the country, even if they're 20 years younger than I am or whenever, I mean, it's just there was a thing that carried through all those years in kind of a connection—that's
0: amazing stuff. We're talking to Lynn Buchanan, who is the daughter of Professor Doug Bergren, and what was your mom's first name? She Barbara, was
2: Barbara Bergren. Barbara, was, that's right. Yeah, yes. Her her last name was Wolfenden, and she couldn't wait to marry my father. I always thought Berggren was hard to smell, but Wolfenden is even worth
0: <laughs> It's been amazing having you. We'd love to have you back. I don't know if Grant or Megan, if you have any other questions, other thoughts, and also, if there are any other stories you want to share. It's been amazing really having some time with you here today, Lynn.
2: Yeah, I guess, you know, and maybe it's sort of morbid, but hopefully not. But, you know, on my father's deathbed when he was dying, they didn't believe he was dying. So he didn't get morphine and he was totally alert. And we were having this conversation, you know, and he was sort of weighing his life like a philosopher and everything in the balance and looking at, you know, well, I wasn't very good at this, or I wasn't a good father. I didn't do this. And I said, dad I think any person you ever had a conversation with in your life you changed the trajectory of their life like Mm. he didn't have idle conversations and he really he cared and listened and I think you know a lot of people would agree that that's the truth and and he stayed in touch with many of his students Mm. over the years people constantly wrote to him he I I haven't seen a lot of you know and he also never taught the same course Twice, like he would work, but he would do the whole thing over from scratch, which is Mm -hmm. not something that I ever really encountered somewhere else. Which made me realize, like you can't just rest on your laurels; you can't rest on your old ideas. You constantly need to be questioning your foundation and adjusting to what is changing in the times. So, you know, it's hard to even predict what he would say about right now, because he would also be taking into account the broader context of how this all came to be.
3: Hmm. so much there i want to add something but i don't know what to add i mean knowledge occurs
2: knowledge occurs i don't know yeah i miss him deeply i i was on the phone with him when the whole world trade center thing happened you know so now anything yeah. happens in life i'm like well, where is my father because i'm so yeah. calling him up and and witnessing and he always had something to say hmm. but it It wasn't always, like, it wasn't negative. It wasn't small. It wasn't tearing down things. I really think he was trying to bring things together. It's Mm -hmm. a very synthetic mind, and I think it was just from listening to him all my life. Yeah.
0: Just
2: trying
1: to build the work
2: things that put it back together. Yeah.
1: Remarkable. I mean, your dad's trajectory, you know, going to Carleton, going to Oxford, then to Yale, and then I believe he was a professor at Yale as well, and probably could have stayed there, but then he committed to this very radically different yeah. type of educational uh, project. And and then you yourself went there. Your parents could have pushed you to go to an Ivy yeah. League school or do something. different. So I just find it remarkable, the commitment that your whole family had to New College. I mean, I went to multiple schools after New College, George
2: Washington, NYU, USF, and I really, New College has a very special place in my heart. And mm. I hope that your stories help preserve it i hope things can come together because i mean most of those experimental schools did collapse not many lasted as long as this did and the reason i think it lasted was the fundamental core principles of the school are just so profound and useful that it kept kept up i will add one thing before we close though they did change the thesis requirement at Yale after my father graduated because he wrote a 500 page thesis. <laughs> Jesus. I think it was like in India, they published it or something crazy like that, but in Yale, and it was on myth and metaphor. But um, after that, mm-hmm. I believe the following year after his uh, you know, professors had to read this, they changed it to the maximum page length was 250. <laughs> Sadly that, but he, he only wrote articles after that. I used to type his books, for him and it was before the days of computers so i would hand type yeah. all and then he would think he hadn't got the absolute truth because he would ask himself another question that wouldn't fit into that and he would throw all my papers away and i would cry
1: well i've heard that his archives live on in someone's garage yeah. and we're all yeah. kind of interested in digging yeah, in there and finding out. and i think i have some drives in a Yes, some
2: people have some, and I I need to work on it. It was really traumatic, unfortunately, at the end. The Mm -hmm. hurricane came and ripped off part of the roof that connected the porch to their house, and they got black mold in their house, and I had to get my mother out in one week. Oh, my God. You know, so she lost her husband, and three months later or something, her whole house like
1: that.
3: Oh, that's rough. Yeah.
1: So, But hopefully we can piece back together some of that. I'm hoping there's some kind of secret romance novel in there, some kind of.
2: <laughs> I don't know that, but I did find his actually. And when I spoke at his memorial service, I had found all of his blue books from um, Oxford and sure. things. And and in one of them, the professor had written, these are all the questions of a great mystic. And. Uh-huh. I'd learned it was very interesting. He'd had a lot of really, and he was raised in the Swedish Covenant Church and was brought up in a very religious way. And he had um, visions of his mother coming and all, all kinds of other things after he was orphaned. And he went into philosophy to try to prove with his five senses if these things happened or not. So he yeah. had a lot yeah. of questions about this, which I did not even know until after he died. And I found all the
1: gods. Wow
0: yeah this is a it's a tough episode to end we're, we're going to have to continue these, these conversations are stories unbelievable
1: yeah you no, know,
2: thank you so much for having me on and and for honoring him and and all the other faculty members he really made new college into a special place and and all the students and faculty who kept it alive and and hopefully we won't let that spirit die
3: Thanks for sharing all that. I understand my thesis better now.
0: (laughs) Lynn Buchanan, thank you so much for joining us on the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's just wonderful to be able to speak about how fantastic New College truly is and The education that so many of us got, which really prepares us for life. I'm so glad that I went there. And it's wonderful to be able to tell the the real side of the story.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks again, Lynn, for joining. And if folks have ideas for other guests, you know, Lynn's a great example of the type of person we'd love to go deep with and continue the conversation with in the future. Grant, Megan, thanks as always for joining us on today's conversation. Thank you.
1: Loved it and
0: we'll be back again soon the name of the podcast is the palm 4 podcast com. find us anywhere you listen to podcasts you can probably even find us on youtube thanks for listening